I am a science fiction buff. I admit it. Star Wars. Thank you, Elliot, for rising to that challenge. Star Trek, Farscape, Doctor Who, Total Recall, Frank Herbert's Dune. I'm intrigued by the idea of new cultures and new dimensions, uncharted territory, and all the cool gadgets. I mean, what I wouldn't give for a transporter or a replicator. Am I right? In Back to the Future, Marty McFly and Doc Brown, they, they zip back and forth in a souped-up DeLorean from 1985 to the distant past of 1955 and all the way forward to the distant future of 2015. Remember 2015? They go back and forth over several movies trying to alter the past in order to benefit the future or to make up for past wrongdoings. Many shows with time travel themes have illustrated how meddling with history can have unintended consequences. And also how history is written from a very limited perspective. So we need to look back and uncover and explore history in its complete complexity to understand who we are and who they were before us, to get a complete picture so that we can make informed decisions about who we are now and where we are going and who we will become. This has been the work of this congregation and the ministerial transition team making their history wall. And they're going to begin reporting back to UCV within this month and engaging in conversations with you as part of the journey of self-discovery for this transition time so that this congregation can prepare and imagine its new future together. It's an exciting time looking back to look forward. Science fiction has always been a medium for futuristic imagination, and while different colored aliens on intergalactic travel aren't yet to be discovered, there is an array of technologies that are no longer figments of the imagination, thanks to the world of science fiction. 3D printers, hover bikes, virtual reality simulators, where would we be without our tablet computers and video calls these days? And credit cards? How did we function? Driverless cars should maybe stay on the drawing board for a bit, though, from what I understand. Science fiction also illustrated for us <clears throat> cultures. Cultures with different social constructs than the ones that we know. Star Trek didn't just herald in flip phones and automatic sliding doors, although that was pretty cool. It also continuously 
Oh, and the countless medical advances and other science. Star Trek was way ahead of its time, but it also continuously stretched the cultural norms of the day, what people understood as being normal. Star Trek showed us a future where we had transcended the barriers of gender and race and religion. And since its beginning in 1960, the diversity of the actors, along with progressive themes like the Vulcan concept of infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Yes, I-D-I-C. Principles of respecting and preserving indigenous cultures and wisdom as they explored. Rethinking traditional understandings of gender roles and casting women and people of color in leadership roles and educated positions. Not only did science fiction help the dominant culture of the day accept that the doctor in the lab coat may be Asian or that the person in charge may be a woman of color, also encouraged that young black woman to imagine themselves being in the captain's chair. And that, my friends, is what decentering whiteness looks like. Writer and activist Adrienne Marie Brown wrote, all organizing is science fiction. We are bending the future together into something we have never experienced a world where everyone experiences abundance, access, pleasure, human rights, dignity, freedom, transformative justice, peace. We long for this. We believe it is possible." End quote. I believe this too. As a Unitarian Universalist, I am committed to working towards that imagined world. One thing science fiction stories often have in common is battling a threat to the world or humanity's very existence. Every Star Wars episode, the stakes were astronomical and with only a ragtag crew of scrappy underdog heroes fighting against a massive, heartless institution and the good guys inevitably win because we need our happy endings. But there have always been crushing sacrifices and discouraging setbacks, causing the heroes to question their own ability or commitment. Is there something about human nature that needs the threat of a disaster in order to rise up and act in defense of others or even of our own very existence. Armageddon. The end of the world has featured in stories since, since the beginning of stories. Some imagined like the book of Revelation and some very, very real. How many times was the world supposed to end? Just in our own living memory, how many times has doomsday been announced? The world is coming to an end. Whether due to mechanical failures or miscommunications, natural disasters, 
brushes with cosmic and nuclear events. I know some of you are old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. When the Mayan calendar supposedly indicated that the apocalypse was headed for us in 2012, they actually weren't that far off. As it turns out, a solar superstorm in the summer of 2012 narrowly missed blasting the planet Earth. And that's just one of the many times that humanity and all of Earth's creatures have escaped extinction by the metaphorical skin of their very teeth. Makes you pause, makes me pause. My colleague, Art Lester, gave me a copy of a book he wrote called The Coffee Table Book of Doom. It's a hardcover, square, orange, solid book. It's a very dense and scientific, tongue-in-cheek review of existential threats, from alien invasion and robotic revolts to overpopulation and killer bees and deforestation and cyber warfare, earthquakes, superbugs, things we can really imagine, all illustrated like a graphic novel. Art Lester suggests that human beings seem to need the threat of doom. But why? It is grim and oddly reassuring to see how many near misses and false alarms we've had, especially now when we're in the midst of a global pandemic and a climate crisis that both feel unsurmountable. Do you remember how you felt, if you're old enough to remember, Y2K? The hysteria around it, and then that odd, quiet relief, almost an embarrassing relief, when the clocks just ticked over from 1999 to 2000, and the world just carried on rather than grinding to a halt. We've got this. But the world won't be the same. It won't be the same as it was before. But we've got this. Arundhati Roy, in his article called The Pandemic is a Portal, wrote, Whatever it is, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, he says, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. Roy says, we can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred our avarice, 
our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. End quote. Flipping the calendar from 2020 over to 2021 did not end the threats we are facing, but it does give us a fresh start in rising up to face them together. And I actually feel pretty good about that. In the words, the immortal words of R.E.M., it is the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Janus was one of the principal gods in the ancient Roman pantheon. He was the god of beginnings, of the first hour, of the first day, of the first day of the month, and the first month of the year, now known as January. Janus was the god who protected the gates and the doors of cities and homes. His face presided over passages, doors, gates, and he was also called on at endings, as well as in transition periods from war to peace. Janus was usually depicted as having two faces, one to look forward to the future and another one looking toward the past. And in his right hand, he holds a key with which to close the door of the old and to open the door of the new. He holds the key, in fact, to the present, which is that magical interim space in which we always live, that sacred space, right smack in between the past and the future, These words were written in the preface of the Transitional Ministry Handbook, the Janus Handbook, to remind us of the sacred work of this interim time when this congregation is looking to its history, discovering its own identity, and imagining a future to move towards with renewed purpose and energy. Endings and beginnings. A gateway through time, back to the future. And now, this liminal space of imagining what the future may look like is a time of dreaming. A time of writing your own science fiction and then living it into a reality. Imagine. To paraphrase the opening reading from Anthony Johnson, let us imagine a future built upon but not confined to the past. A new thing, different, better, greater than anything we have yet imagined what we will become.
the world as we knew it has ended many times. We have come a long way, and there are still new frontiers to be discovered. <laughs>